Hey there, Emerald listeners. This is How It's Reported, and my name is Ryan Wynn, and today we have... Becky Hogue. I am a science and environmental writer for The Daily Emerald. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's really hot. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So, this week you wrote a cover story. Could you tell our listeners what it's about? Yeah, so it is about how uh, the University of Oregon is working to curb the carbon emissions, and it talks about the old car- uh, climate action plan and discusses like how they planned to kind of revamp the climate action plan so that it actually is something that they can track their carbon emissions for to be able to decrease their carbon emissions overall. Yeah, so... How did you get started writing this? Yeah, so I actually started writing this, um, I think it was spring term junior year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been like a year. Yeah. um, So I had, so full disclosure, like end of freshman year and through sophomore year, I was with Climate Justice League. And that was an environmental organization that's really been pushing for this. So I had heard about it before. I did my best as a journalist not to be terribly involved in their actual like campaigning and that kind of stuff. Though I did help them do a little bit of research and find information. Um, but it's honestly like a good resource to be a part of a club on campus, even if they are an activist organization, just to kind of have an idea on what's going on around campus. Um, even if you are not actively involved in what they're doing. Um, so that's kind of where I first heard about it is they had formed a campaign around the climate action plan and it was called CAP 2.0. So climate action plan 2.0, because they were trying to get a new climate action plan, um, started by the administration in order to actually like get some progress done. And so that's where I first heard about it. And at the time I was writing for Envision, which is an environmental student-run publication on campus. I was actually the editor-in-chief. And me and my managing editor at the time, Mara Weltley, who has since graduated, I think she is currently living in Colorado and freelancing there. Um, But I reached out to her and I said, hey, you're a really good writer too. I think that this is a really important story to tell because I'm hearing different things from different people about Uh, whether or not the Climate Action Plan original is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And there's there's been a lot of pushback and movement by the Climate Justice League, and I would just really like to know how how real is this. And so that's where I began my research. And um, we also reached out to an SOJC professor, uh, Brent Walth, who's a really good investigative reporter. He won like a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. I I honestly, I didn't utilize him to the extent that I probably should have. Um, but he did help us just kind of get started on what we were supposed to do. Like he told us, hey, you know, after collecting all this information, go ahead and just write out um, as if you were writing a letter to a friend, write out like all the things you know and all the things you don't know and all of the questions you still have and the people who you want to talk to. And that really helped. And both of us did that separately and then came together, read each of ours. And that really helped solidify the things that we knew and the things that we did not know. And we continued researching from there. Yeah. And the link to the story will be in the description below. You should read it if you have not yet. That way, the rest of this podcast will make a little bit more sense. So 
what did you actually, what was like the main takeaway that you wanted people to have after reading this story, if that makes sense? Yeah, so uh, one of the main takeaways that I wanted to uh show to the readers is just that one actually the original climate action plan and it was really complicated on how to get there this whole topic is really complicated i think that's something within itself to take away from is that environmental issues are inherently very complex which is one of the reasons why people are always so afraid to tackle them but it's also extremely important because universities in particular they are the place that are nurturing these new minds that are going to go out into the world and change the world and so it's really important that people in the administration of a university sees themselves as major uh, factors of change so i think or major drivers of change. And so I think that it's really, that's another big takeaway. And then from what I found, and it was really interesting because from there I've talked with like people who I consider kind of an expert on this, and they said that they learned things from the inter- from the article that they didn't know. So I think it was a lot of people talking to certain groups but not talking to everyone, and so it made it difficult to pull everything together. But I think one of the main things to take away from it is that the university administration isn't evil or anything like that. I feel like a lot of environmental um, people kind of villainize the current administration, say they're not doing anything. They are doing things. It's just behind the scenes, and they need to be more transparent about what they are doing, what they're not doing. Um, so there was more done than they realized, than many people thought they were doing, regardless of whether or not the climate action plan was fully implemented. And then the second thing is, is that there still is a lot more that needs to be done and, uh, that the administration knows that there's more that needs to be done. Yeah. And there was a new action plan released like this last Friday, right? Yes, and I will be covering that. Um, So I will produce an – it will probably already be out by the time this podcast comes out. So I will produce a kind of um, look at a breakdown of what the new climate action plan suggests and what it's going to implement and the different deadlines or any lack of deadlines that they are presenting. And I will also sit down and talk with um, the – Director of Sustainability, Steve Mitel, about the Climate Action Plan, and we'll really break it down for you. Oh, actually, it will not be out by then. It will not be out by then. Sorry, Steve Mitel and my uh, interviews on Wednesday, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I will attach a link to Becky's profile page in the description below. So when you are listening to this in the future, you can click on that, take a look to see what, if it is up, and what other great content Becky has done including Spotlight on Science. Yes, I am a co-host of Spotlight on Science. And also, shameless plug, please follow me on my social media accounts. (laughs) Follow me on social media accounts. I need friends. Um, (laughs) Because I publish a lot of environmental tips and facts on my Instagram in particular, but also on my Twitter and Facebook. So follow me at BeckyDH6 for both Instagram and Twitter. And then Becky Hogue for Facebook. All right, let's transition into our second premier topic, environmental journalism. So, Becky, what, what, what does that mean? What does environmental journalism even mean, I guess? So environmental journalism is kind of like just covering different environmental – I mean, that's obvious, covering different <laughs> environmental topics. Hello. Um, but it's 
actually pretty complicated because environmental topics span throughout every beat. Like you can have environment impacting the economy, the politics, the um, society, like uh, philosophy, um, everything. I think the only thing that I haven't seen like extremely covered by environment is maybe sports, but even then you got weather, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and that will impact whether or not your sports team plays. And so I think that it's just really important to have the conversation of environmental impact and environmental causes in every conversation that is on the papers out there. Yeah, yeah. So what made you want to report on the environment in the first place? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) I came here as a marine biology major, and I did my damnedest to not, I don't know if that word's allowed, I did my best to avoid environmental topics. Like, I did my hardest to avoid environmental topics. Really? Yeah, all the way, like, from middle school to the beginning of college. Why? It seems, like, pretty integral in that particular field. They scare me. They scare me so much. And I think that's something that a lot of people feel, too, is that, like, you got, you know, plastic pollution in the oceans. You have ocean acidification. You have climate change, sea level rise. You know, you have all these different things. And it can be just overwhelming as an individual to talk about these issues. And when I first got interested in the ocean, I wanted to cover jellyfish. I wanted to color, cover jellyfish in hydrothermal vents, in deep sea locations which is really cool it's very specific i was fascinated by chemosynthesis which is like yeah what is that (laughs) it's basically like instead of you know how plants use photosynthesis so they like take the light and stuff so chemosynthesis is paper uh, organisms that take energy from chemicals Ooh. in different areas. So in the case of hydrothermal vents, and we're kind of getting off track, but in the case of <laughs> hydrothermal vents, um, there are these uh, seeps of hot water that have billowed up and have warmed up from the uh, Earth's core. And that produces a lot of chemicals that then organisms around there in the pitch black use those in order to make their own food. Interesting. Yeah. So that really, I found that fascinating because I love organisms that are in the extremes and able to survive in the most weird places. And I think that <laughs> jellyfish and like uh, their relatives, corals, anemones, hydroids are like really good examples of organisms that have managed to survive for such a long time on such little resources. And so that's what I was initially fascinated by. But... In high school, I started interning at the Monterey Bay Aquarium because I'm from the Bay Area. Um, And I could not – I had a really tough time escaping, in particular, like plastic pollution and overfishing. Those were like the main two topics that they covered. They really didn't cover climate change all that much when we were starting. And I love the Monterey Bay Aquarium, don't mean to diss them or anything. But (laughs) we really didn't talk about it all that much. So I mostly avoided covering those two topics. And then when I got to college, I met a friend who had switched, ironically, from a psychology major to an environmental studies major. And she basically, like, straight up was like, 
Becky, you can't be avoiding these topics. Like, stop trying to avoid these topics. She's very sassy. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to keep trying, but it didn't work. And then I realized that I can't be just focusing on these tiny niche uh, studies when there's this huge problem of climate change coming out, and the more and more I learned about it, the less I felt I could avoid the topic. It's like once your eyes are open, you can't close them. Like, you can't avoid the topic. Maybe some people can't, but I sure can't. <laughs> so that changed the trajectory of my life, oh, wow. basically. And I added journalism, which I was originally interested in marine biology and journalism and people are like oh are you going to put together for like scientific or environmental journalism and i always said no oh those were separate things Uh i loved jellyfish and i loved um journalism i was actually more in the realm of like female empowerment kind of journalism i started my own like girl teen magazine in middle school and high school and so that's how i got interested in journalism and so I had done a little bit of like opinion pieces on environmental stuff and kind of teetered with that in high school, but I wanted those things to be primarily separate because I just liked writing and empowering women in written stuff, and I liked jellyfish. (laughs) But eventually, they kind of slowly got closer and closer and came together. Um, The more I talked with people who were in those beats, like Mark Blaine and Torsten Kellestrad. Both professors here. Both professors at the the journalism school. And I just, yeah, I just learned more and more about the topics. And then I just made the switch. That's really cool. Yeah. So now I'm environmental science and journalism double major with a biology minor. So, yeah, what kind, kind of happened next after that, after you combined the two? Um, well, I started discovering more and more opportunities on and off campus that were um, in that kind of niche. And I realized how few people were really like in this industry, which is concerning to me, considering that climate change is the biggest problem that the world faces today. There really weren't that many people that want to talk about it. And I think, again, it's just the fear and overwhelmingness of this topic. It's just such a big and scary thing. And it's just really hard to picture in your mind. You know, I feel like we've kind of gone around the idea of plastic pollution and stuff because you can see like a sea turtle with a straw stuck up its nose or you can see an albatross's stomach with a bunch of plastic in it. But you can't really see the arms of climate change at work in each natural disaster. And scientists have always been super hesitant to definitively point to an event and be like, this is caused by climate change. Because usually it's more like climate change exacerbates these issues. So for example, for hurricanes, there have been hurricanes before climate change became a big deal. But there's been a huge increase of very, very costly hurricanes because the waters have been warming and that has created a better condition for hurricanes to be produced. And then sea level rise on top of that makes the disasters that much more terrible. So it's kind of, it's difficult for people to think about it. So because of that, I feel like there's a very small group of people that are interested in reporting on it. But that being said, I think it's been increasing a lot especially since I've been here, which is really, really cool to see. Ever since the Media Center for Science and Technology showed up, it has 
taken a lot more emphasis in the J school, which I really do appreciate. So I was involved in Envision Magazine. And these are like, if you are interested in environmental journalism, you don't have to be a journalist and you don't have to be an environmental science major. But if you're interested in that kind of part in between, then I highly recommend like, you know, checking out these kind of things. And I tell this to everyone who asks because I feel like I'm kind of turning into like the grandmother of environmental journalism you kind here. Of are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I'm totally fine with it to be honest. Like it's my <laughs> it's my life's mission. Um but yeah, so I did like uh envision journalism and I worked with them either as a writer or as the editor in chief um for about three and a half years. It was no, three years. It was it was it was the majority okay. of my time here, though. And then science and memory, which is a, a class that goes out at the J school and looks at the environmental impacts on either the Oregon coast or in um, uh, Cordova, Alaska, or they recently even did in Ghana, which I was super jealous of because they only took ad people, and that hurt my soul. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So is there anything that you change about the way that journalists cover the environment right now? Um, I think one of the main things is they need to just cover it more. For example, I'm the only environmental reporter at the Emerald. I don't want to like, like, I love the Emeralds. They're great. But and I'm glad that um, I have someone next year who's going to take my place. So there will be someone next year. But it concerns me that it's just me. It it seems strange to me because there's so many environmental organizations on campus, and yet we just really haven't taken the opportunity to fully cover these issues, and people want to talk about it. They really do. Um, I think another major misconception of environmental journalism is that it should be within the beat of science journalism. And I disagree with that notion. I love scientific journalism, and I still am interested in covering scientific journalism, but I've started to move away from me saying, oh, I'm just a scientific journalist, and then adding the emphasis on environment. Because, again, I think that environmental uh, journalism should be covered in every single topic. Um, And then I think the third major misconception is that... Uh, it's. I guess it's not really as much of a misconception. It's more of something that needs to be worked on in the industry is there needs to be a greater um, baseline understanding of environmental issues for those environmental reporters or for any news organization, even if they don't have the funds to have a general environmental reporter. I feel like other reporters are too afraid to talk about these issues because they can be very complex. And I think that that's a big problem because when you feel like there's a disconnect of um, your knowledge and a certain topic, then it never gets covered in the media. And if it doesn't get covered in the media, then the general public doesn't know about it. And it also seems like that's just an issue of the general public as well. Yes, yes. There's a very big divide in um, in environmental knowledge. And in particular between party lines, to be perfectly honest, because different 
news organizations, depending on their political bias, either cover in like climate change as a big ticket issue or dismiss it. And that really makes the general public vulnerable. Like, I don't think that the majority of Republican people think that climate change is a Chinese hoax. I don't agree with that notion. I think that majority of them... I haven't heard of that one before. (laughs) Wait, seriously? Not like Chinese hoax. That's what Trump says. Trump says it's a Chinese hoax. I've heard hoax, but not Chinese hoax. Uh Uh-huh, Chinese hoax. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so they, I don't believe that most people deny climate change in that little sphere. I think that a lot of people just don't know about it. And that includes reporters. And so if you don't produce that baseline understanding, then you are not going to cover these essential issues. So I think that it's important that in general, we need to beef up our environmental. just knowledge in general. And it should not be just left up to people who have PhDs in science to cover these issues, because that just makes it seem like it's scientists talking down to the general public. And that is never a good situation to be in. So please donate to the Emerald. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, seriously. I think there should be an environmental beat, honestly. Like, I would love a science beat, too, but I think that an environmental beat, then you got someone that should cover, like, the policy side of the environment. You got other people who should cover, like, the, um, the like, psychology and philosophy of the environment, and you should cover, like, news of the environment. And I just, yeah, I think, honestly, and people have created magazines and newspapers in particular that are environmental magazines. But I have a – I don't think I would ever work for an environmental publication because I feel like you end up getting in this echo chamber of people who already understand these issues. I mean, you kind of already have that in a college world, to be honest. But you have – it's really easy to just be, like, talking pre- – preaching to the choir on this, which is really frustrating um, and so you need to reach out to publications who uh, are majorly like talking to people that don't have any idea about this topic. Yeah, and I forgot to ask this earlier, but um, after Cap 2.0, what sort of is the next step? What's going to happen next? So... I'll talk about that more with um, Steve. That's one of the questions I'm going to ask him. But in my understanding as of now, I believe that they produced a, a Cap 2.0. And <laughs> it was probably a little rushed on their part just because it suddenly went from, oh, we're going to like publish it in a couple months to me having the story coming out and them switching it to, oh, we're going to publish it in a week to, oh, we're going to publish it on Friday. Can you hold off your story an extra week? And um, I said no because it's a cover story, and so I couldn't hold it off. Um, But they really wanted to make sure that I had all the information because they were worried that I was going to miss miss say all their, their information, all the things they've done. I hope that I didn't do that. I was very, very, very nervous. Like, I didn't sleep very well at all the night before it published. I was super nervous about it because I think 
it's especially important right now for journalists and for scientists to be legit. And to me, as both, I need to be doubly legit. And if I publish something that has a lot of incorrect facts, that doesn't look good for me at all, especially when I'm about to go out into the world as a senior. So I worked my butt off to make sure that everything was accurate. I think I probably wrote like five different versions of it. <laughs> it was insane. All right. But so, yeah, but yeah, I think there's going to be a climate action plan 3.0 that will come out afterwards that um, will probably correct some things that they will find don't make a lot of sense in climate action 2.0. And they're going to continue revising that. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to impart upon our listeners before we wrap things up for this episode of How It's Reported? Don't leave environmental knowledge for someone else to know. Do your research, learn a little bit about it, just have a basic knowledge. It shouldn't, like, I'm not saying that everybody should become a climate change activist or an environmental journalist or anything like that. But we need people who have specialties in every single aspect to cover these really difficult issues. And so I think that if you have a baseline understanding and if it's always in the back of your mind to look at environmental impact and environmental solutions, then we are moving in the right direction. All right. Well, that's all I have to ask. I'm Ryan Wynn. And I'm Becky Hogue. Tune in next week for another episode of How It's Reported coming out on Wednesdays. To hear more from the Yumbo Podcast Network, you can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to these episodes right on the Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Leave us a comment on SoundCloud or email us at podcast at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.